Good afternoon. Over the last four weeks, we have interrogated our history as Africans through stories of our leaders. We have gone from Burkina Faso to Ghana, Uganda to South Africa. This week, we are taking time to honor yet another African hero, Kenya's very own Wangari Mathai. First, my take. My name is George Matero. Every so often, history presents us with a person who has unwavering belief in their cause to better the human race. A misfit, if you may, who goes against the grain and is driven by a clear vision on how to better the world and how it will look once their pursuit is complete. Professor Wangare Madai rose from a village in Kenya's Central Highlands to starting a global movement and becoming the first African woman to win a Nobel Peace Prize. Her life's work is immortalized in the tens of millions of trees across the continent and the connection between environment, leadership, and the economy. As a generation, we have lots of lessons to borrow from the bravery of Wangari Mathai, her unbowed spirit. Welcome to the story of Wangari Mathai, Kenyan by heart, Kenyan by birth, African at heart. I'm excited to have a distinguished panel uh, of experts who will be with me to discuss Professor Wangari Mathai's legacy. I have Ms. Santana Muthoni from Semezane. We also have Mr. Charles Oluchina, Regional Program Coordinator for IUCN for Eastern and Southern Africa. And we have Ms. Elizabeth Wathuti, a Kenyan environmental uh, uh, hero also and a climate change activist and founder of the Green Generation Initiative. And of course, we are privileged to have Mr. Wawero Mathai, founding member of the Wangari Mathai Foundation. I'd like to start by reaching out to Mr. Wawero. How, how was it growing up knowing that you are Wangari Mathai's children? Like, it, I, I can imagine it's such a phenomenal experience, no? It, it was nice and it has its uh, pluses and minuses. But uh, you have to understand that uh, my mom's life begins very well up until, uh, as the documentary points out, up until I think uh, they start having problems with their marriage. So yeah. we're still very young. Uh, her and her husband start having problems. And of course, that affects the family. And it's a bit traumatic. So uh, from then on, my mom's life is transformed from being a regular, just like any Kenyan you know, University of Nairobi employee trying to make it in Nairobi. And she's, her life is transformed from that uh, middle class upward mobile um, existence into an activist. And this comes about, uh, and um, the timing as your documentary points out would be right around the time she's at the University of Nairobi. Uh, and if, a few years before that, uh, remember Tomboya gets assassinated in 1969. And these events have a tremendous influence on the, the life that is going on in my mom's family, the family she's trying to build, and also going on in the, in the nation and the city at large. The Boya's death in 1969, looking back, I think torpedoes us. Prior to that, I think we are cruising. Things should be okay. Everyone should be prosperous in about 10 years. 
Remember, we are cruising at the same pace as South Korea at this time. Mm. And uh, Tomboya gets assassinated. And the assassination of Tomboya in 69, and about five years later, or so, or six years later, J.M. Karyoki gets assassinated. And, and those events, and when we're very young kids, are, are causing problems in the home. In the home. So as kids, we are noticing that we are going from uh, happy, quiet, uh, nonchalant, uh, and you know normal family into a pretty uh, turbulent uh, existence because now my mom and my dad uh, are fighting over what should happen my dad of course at this time is in the political class he's already won a, a seat in parliament the year before jm karyuki gets assassinated and this really affects the home and wangari Malai is thrust into activism at that point because prior to that, she's just a normal housewife. But after 19, after JM gets assassinated, and we can even go back to Tomboya's assassination, then things become really tense for her, her family, her feelings about the future of Kenya. And that's when her activism starts. She's already begun this tree planting activity uh, in an effort to help my dad uh, and his constituents. Uh, as, as was pointed out in your documentary, tree planting was, was just an entry-level activity in, to open up and get people organized for other things, as, the, as you guys were saying in the documentary, the freedom of expression, democracy, all these things get discussed as you engage on environmental issues such as uh, tree planting. But that's, that's, that, I think, is the way I look at this. And also in my existence as a kid, things I remember going crazy from that point on. So when people ask me how it was, uh, I think my answer is, I wish it wasn't. <laughs> I wish it wasn't like that. But I realized that we suffered as a family, even as the whole country got torpedoed. In other words, we were on a pathway to true success, you know, cruising at the same pace as South Korea, and then ending up where we are now. I mean, you have to really, when I look back, you have to really point to those two. And I think if you asked Wangari if she was here, she would say, she would probably say, you know, those two events are, in hindsight, are quite monumental. The assassination in 69 of Tomboya, and then five years or six years later, the assassination of Karyuki really puts people on, 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 uh, on, on, on a mode where they now worry whether this country that we've taken over from the Europeans and we think we can push to another level is really going to happen. And I think when you look around today, your answer is pretty evident. <laughs> I have a question uh, for Charles. As an environmentalist, did you ever interact with Professor Ongari? Yeah, in my career as an environmentalist, I was very privileged to interact with the late professor. Um, in my time at the U.S. Embassy, I used to work at USAID. And uh, that's just a post... Um, uh, NAC elections years, and there was a lot of optimism in the country. So having come through the single-party struggle into multi-partism and getting the momentum of um, uh, change and development in Kenya, it, it was such a profound moment. And I must say that uh, having spent time to really understand the motivation of the late prof uh, became quite a defining moment in my life. And it shaped a lot of the choices that I had to pick upon as an individual and the other influence that I saw was necessary to not just help Kenya move forward, but Africa as a whole. Um, I mean, I met a person who had true passion 
and care for the country. Uh, then she was an assistant minister for environment. And on one occasion, we were going to plant trees, and it was always um, a unique experience because on one hand, you could not see uh, Prof wear her seniority on her sleeve. She was simple, straight, you know, uh, forward. is like, why are you in a tie? You must be in gumboots. That's how we're going to transform Africa. Yeah, ties are important for signing checks, but Africa needs people who will get their hands dirty. And we got our hands dirty. We, we planted trees in Karura. We planted trees in their badeas. And the other uncelebrated fact was that the tremendous women movement that she set out in the grassroots became such a lasting legacy. I mean, it's been adopted around the region, uh, among other countries in Africa, as a way to empower the grassroots network of uh, the more disadvantaged people to really have a stake in their natural capital. So I, I learned a lot. And uh, as I said, it's been one of the most wonderful lessons. I was there, I mean, uh, on television, not in Norway, when it was happening. Uh, I can't remember such a joyful moment, second to yeah. seeing Obama giving his inaugural speech. That was the same experience <laughs> I had when Prof was getting her Nobel Award. Yeah, thank you. Elizabeth, you, you are young and, of course, very attached to Professor Wangari Mathai's story, being um, a winner of uh, the Green Belts Movement Wangari Mathai Prize. How best would you explain her influence into your life and other young environmentalists across the continent? Having grown up in the central highlands of Kenya and, of course, the same place that was the birthplace for Professor Wangari Mathai, I'd say she was definitely very influential and also inspirational to so many people out there. And for me, I remember one of the things I ever wanted to do was to meet her and plant a tree with her. When she won the Nobel Peace Prize, I was just so young, I was in standard four. But uh, her inspirations were something that really meant a lot to everyone. I mean, just uh, promoting peace by getting women to join hands and plant trees. I mean, it is something that was phenomenal. And I think she really uh, sparked a movement of hummingbirds because right now we can agree that a lot of people are so much inspired by what she did. And remember, it was a time when the African women did not have a voice in society, but she stood out and she used her hands and heart to sow seeds for our community-minded Africa. And like you heard from Wawero, she sacrificed a lot of things because I think when you're an activist, you have to sacrifice so many things and even like, has mentioned about the challenges in the family. It just shows how selfless she was when it came to making sure that she's conserving the environment for the next generations. And that is why today we are able to enjoy so many things that she fought for, Uhuru Park, Karura Forest. Most of us were not there by that time. But today we can go there, sit down, and just enjoy the space that she fought so hard to protect for us. And I think it's the same energy, that, that, that courage that she had, and that leadership to just lead people into a movement that uh, they would stand up for what they believe in is something that really stands out for each and every one of us today. And I think uh, just every time, I'm definitely so proud to be living in the most forested county today. And I would say it's all thanks to her because when you go to Nyeri, you find that there's so many trees, especially on your way, like towards Nyeri. And what if what I came to realize is that most of the biggest part is not even the forest, like the Abadeas. It's the people that have planted the trees in their farms, in their homes. And this reminds me of the women movements that she founded. They were starting up tree nurseries and 
and just getting all these seedlings to now plant in their homes and institutions. And I think it's something that really is a seed that was planted in me and every other person that was inspired by Prof. I'll throw a question to any, anyone in the panel who'd want to address this. Um, so Professor Angari Mathai uh, was internationally acknowledged for the struggle for democracy, human rights, environmental conservation, and she definitely served on numerous boards. Um, what could we say, um, what would you say drove her to do all the work she did? What was the driving factor? Um, if, I, if I could just say, the, the driving factor for Wangari, clearly when you look at her life, was what she was seeing in her world, what she was seeing, what was being reported to her, as Liz just mentioned in Yeri, for example, women were all of a sudden not able to get firewood. Uh, there were challenges with green spaces being, um, and this happens if, as soon as the Europeans uh, arrive to this new, 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 uh, new area and establish a colony, they are clearing huge uh, forests and huge, huge green spaces to make way for commercialization. And all of this was inherited by the new uh, independent African government and they continued to do that and uh, mm -hmm. never really changed the situation of uh, most indigenous Africans being pushed to reserves and having less in terms of uh, natural resources, firewood to sustain themselves. This is where her activism begins because when these new politicians, new African politicians are getting into office, the biggest question is how, we go how are you going to to uh, eradicate poverty. Remember the call for independence was we would eradicate poverty, ignorance, mm -hmm. and disease. Yeah. And so my mom was really moving along those lines to try to uh, get people um, involved in activity that mm -hmm. could hopefully become income generating. To me, it was about this generation and the generations to come. And one of the statements I remember vividly uh, at one of the events we had with a couple of diplomats, he said, when you, she said, when you read some of the big books of civilizations, um, big cities from Babylon days, you know, uh, back to Carthage in Tunisia, they rose and fell because of one thing. And they, they rose and fell, one, because of war, but also because of a crash in the natural capital. When cities lack water, they just die. Now look at it. We're being serviced here in Nairobi, close to 75% of our fresh water coming from the green capital of the Abadeas. And she'll look me in the eyes and everybody, if Abadeas goes today, what city are you going to have? Are you going to drink those buildings? Think about it. Maybe, Wawero, could you please talk us through her three-legged philosophy of leadership and how probably she practiced that as an individual before that was seen across her work? Ah, yes, yeah, you're absolutely right. In that book, uh, The Challenge for Africa, she talks about that three-legged stool that she believes is necessary for a stable country. So if you don't have a, a, um, equitable management of uh, resources and you don't have um, peace and democracy, and there are very different variations of that stool, then you usually have an unstable country. And so she uses Somalia as an example of a country that doesn't have um, you know, a, functioning, a functioning government. And so they, they, the stool won't apply in that case. And when you look at uh, flourishing economies in the West, the US, the UK, uh, you can see all, all, all functions, all, all state uh, apparatus in, in gear. Citizens are very much um, catered for. Tax, tax revenues go into setting up the state 
So there's the sustainable development and management of resources. There's a, there's a functioning a judicial system that takes care of, of rights and mediates uh, people who, are, who face injustice. And uh, so this is basically the concept she was going with. Elizabeth, you're a young leader. What lessons are you borrowing from Professor Wangari Matai? Yeah, thank you so much, Judge, for that question. I think uh, being a young person right now, we are living in very critical times when we are faced with so many environmental challenges. And of course, we are the ones that have to live longer with these consequences, which means that if we don't take up the mantle to be the people that stand up out there to fight for these challenges and make sure that our future is not being stolen from, then we are the ones that are going to have to live longer with the consequences and suffer from these consequences. And just looking from uh, the legacy of Wangari Maathai, she did not wait, she did not take chances. She saw the problem and she had to look for a solution. And when she got the solution, she did not wait. She went ahead and implemented these solutions and empowered other people to also be on the forefront to be the change makers. So I think being the change makers and being the voices of today, because they used to tell us that the youths are the leaders of tomorrow, but I think I think that they, they misled us because if we wait until uh, that tomorrow, then I think it is going to be too late for us. If she waited for maybe to see what the government would do with the Guru Park, maybe I would never uh, have visited that park today. Maybe I would never even have known that it existed. I would just be maybe reading about a park that was there, but I never got a chance to be in that park. So I think uh, one of the very critical things as a young person and also to every young person who's watching out there is that we cannot take chances when the future is being stolen right now because for me, anything that degrades the environment and does not is not in favor of the people, then it is not also in favor of us, I mean, as the entire human race. Because what we need to be promoting right now is a kind of a society that puts the people and the planet before the profits. So I think uh, these are issues that we should be out there voicing out and, of course, make sure that in that same spirit of Wangari Maathai, because she fought for everything that we appreciate today. And in the same spirit, we should be the voices, be like the hummingbird. I love so much the story of the hummingbird that she used to to tell. And I think it's from those inspirations that we should draw that courage and that unity and leadership to join hands together and fight for our future, because we deserve it. And I have a question for um, Charles. So from Karura to Uhuru Park, um, Kenya's green spaces are a tribute to Professor Wangari, and the fight is not over yet. Uh, I'm sure in Karura, if you go to Karura from um, from the, the kind of, this is the winter section, you can see that there are houses that are already started starting to be built inside the forest. And we've had people talk about it. And today being um, Biodiversity Day, what is the importance of preserving green spaces? Uh, thanks, Antana. So green spaces in, in urbanizing environments are actually a key asset. When you look at the global index of livable cities, one of the top three criteria that apply is uh, availability of green spaces. That's what makes Atlanta a great city to live in. That's what makes Miami a great city to live in. So concrete by itself doesn't make a city livable. Um, and green spaces have got very, very important environmental services they provide. Um, I don't know if you've ever taken a day 
during the regular study school days in Nairobi. And on a Tuesday, Wednesday, you just pass Langata Road and you see the number of school buses on the parking lot of Nairobi National Park. They're in their hundreds. People have left the density of inner concrete living to go out there. It's almost spiritual to begin with. Yeah, to be, you know, at peace with nature and just soak up all that clean air that yeah. comes from the trees and the surrounding environment. So yeah. principally, green spaces make cities livable. They add the value. Um, yeah. The other fascinating thing is in, in, in very mature cities, um, actually, trees are part of the city's estates. And the arborists, the people who are responsible for managing the trees, are very powerful. A city like Atlanta, I mean, uh, or if you go to Alabama, there are trees, oaks of almost 500 years old. You are not going to cut down that tree. That tree is a monument. So until we cultivate these value systems of beginning to appreciate what that one individual or collection of trees does to a city, then you begin to appreciate that the aspect of them being there, not just being a tourist attraction, but the climate attenuation. What is the best way to honor Professor Wangare Mathai today? I'll start with you, Charles. Prof will have asked for a very simple, not sophisticated commitment that these are the long reigns for each of us to just get out and put a seat down on the ground, not one, but five, that will outlive our own existence. I remember him using those words. Try to do something that will outlive your own existence and it will be useful to society. So the little thing I want to do and the commitment is go out there, put five to ten seedlings that will serve an unknown person. That's one big commitment. And doing so in a way that is selfless to society and it's going to be empowering and with all the integrity that it takes. So it's not just tree planting for tree planting sake, but it's the totality of who you are as a person, as a worker, as a leader, and a person who on a mission for this one lifetime we have has to leave a better legacy for future generations. Elizabeth? Uh, one of the best ways we can make sure that Prof's legacy reigns on, because it does, is to make sure that Wherever we are, we are also sowing seeds that are going to help the future generations to come. And this is, of course, by following in her conservation footsteps. Like you said, we cannot sit down and wait for someone else to come and save us out of the situation, maybe with environmental degradation. It is upon us as individuals to take up steps and be on the forefront in conservation. If your little thing is planting trees, then go ahead and plant the trees. If your little thing is education. We need to enlighten our people about the challenges that we are facing today from the climate crisis to the loss of biodiversity. It is up to us to take up this challenge and be on the forefront in these solutions because Africa's solutions are in Africa. And unless we recognize that, then it's going to be a challenge for us to address the challenges in Africa. Like we don't, we have everything that it takes for us to solve our challenges, but we only need to unite and have that courage and leadership that Prof had so that we can be able to address our challenges because those little things like, just like she said, those are the things that are going to matter in the end of it all. Santana, what do you think yeah. will be the best way of honoring Professor Angari Mathai? If you, if you look at even how her legacy um, 
is, is told in, in modern day Kenya. Many people don't really understand the nitty gritty and the sacrifice that she made to now um, allow us have North Karura, the, the Uhuru parks, the forest that we have. So many people don't understand the sacrifice that went into this. So it's we, we are the ones who suffer the consequences of environmental degradation. So we should speak up when there are injustices that would definitely come in the, come in the way of our safety as, 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 as citizens and doing what we can. Yeah. Interesting. Wawero, what do you think will be the best way of honoring your late mom? George, hopefully what we're doing at the Wangari Madai Foundation, and let me just say, uh, Elizabeth is a true hummingbird. I think Wangari Madai would have really loved her. Indeed, the whole Yebo idea would have been so inspirational to Wangari because uh, here you have a group of progressive um, young people who stretch beyond their local boundaries. I mean, this, this A24 media Yebo idea of Pan-African uh, um, engagement platform is just phenomenal. She would have really loved that. So congrats to you, Santana, and uh, your team. Um, but what Charles said also uh, with, uh, with the power of one, the power of one person to change. The reason we, we use Wangari Madai as an example and why we're so happy to do it at the foundation is because she embodied that uh, idea that if you just are a good person with good morals, good ethics, and you try your best, as, the, as Elizabeth was just mentioning, the hummingbird story. The hummingbird is a small bird that tries to put out this fire in a story my mom loves to tell. And it knows that with its small beak and the small water it's carrying, it's unlikely to put out this huge forest fire. In that story, there's a huge forest fire. But this bird continues to do it. And that's what Wangari was trying to encourage people to do. So the, 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 the way she, she, she uh, did it was just by demonstrating through her actions that I'm, I'm following this path because I want for my brother what I desire for myself. Or I want for my sister what I desire for myself. If we get to that point, uh, hopefully through in, in, in initiatives like this one at Yebo, where the entire continent really begins to have a, a new identity, a Pan-African identity that desires each one what I want. If I have a nice... Um, place with the nice basic necessities and my brother doesn't, that's a problem. If we get to a place where we really desire that, then we will have achieved uh, what we're trying to achieve at the foundation, which is um, courageous leaders and, and, and leaders with integrity who nurture because of, how, because of the very essence of who they are. They're able to, if we are correct, these hummingbirds will create stable states that will have that stool that you're saying, the stable stool with sustainable environment, with sustainable development. Um, there'll be cultures of peace, democracy, protection of human rights. These things will only come if our leaders desire for us as, entire, as an entire continent, what they desire for themselves. Thank you. Thank you very much. What I'm, 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 I'm getting from all this is the power of one, following your path, being a human being of integrity and knowing that you do not have to change the whole world in a day, but you need to make sure that there is significant progress every single day. For now, I am very thankful for all of you keeping us company, everyone on Facebook. And I would like to wish you a very happy um, weekend and a lovely and prosperous 
rest of the evening.